This week in South Florida, the COVID-19 numbers explode. Uh, we're seeing really, really big um, positive test results uh, from our younger, less risky demographic in terms of the effects of this. Over the past week, they have seen about one third of the patients admitted were 18 to 34 year olds. Reopening rollback. No drinks at bars, no July 4th weekend at the beach. We need to be more aggressive in our enforcement. It is time to make sure that we take individual responsibility. Face coverings, new mandates, and new lines in the sand. You know what? I don't know what to believe. The virus doesn't care about our politics. Election season underway. The Democrats are also trying to rig the election by sending out tens of millions of mail-in ballots. A good uh, third plus. Uh, of our uh, voters uh, potentially will vote by mail. Is your vote safe? Hear from those running South Florida elections. And a big name candidate tells us why he is the best choice for the Miami-Dade Commission. All this week, this week in South Florida. Good morning, glad you could join us. I'm Michael Putney. I'm Glenna Milberg. We begin this morning with the explosion in COVID-19 cases, especially in South Florida. What needs to be done to stop the spread and by whom? The daily number of new COVID-19 positive cases tripled this week by the day, topping 9,500 on Saturday, 8,500 today. The infection rate on the test at one point reached 25% in Miami-Dade. And as much of a gut punch as those numbers may be to see, one of the infectious disease consultants advising Miami-Dade County says she is not surprised. Dr. Eileen Marty is with us right now live to explain all that. Great to see you again, Dr. Marty, and thanks again for being with us uh, with your expertise. We now have the new numbers today, 8,530 new cases statewide. Um, is it is it too basic to ask what are we not doing to stop this spread? Brenna, it is all behavior driven. Um, the things that we do that we choose to do lead to increasing or decreasing the transmission of the virus. So we all know by now the behaviors that we have to have that reduce transmission. If we do those things uh, such as uh, the six foot distance, the, the use of the facial coverings in public, um, the, the hygiene, we can turn those numbers back. But if we don't, these things will continue to escalate. Yeah. Dr. Marty, uh, Mayor Jimenez, whom you consult with here on policy on uh, COVID-19, uh, he has said yesterday that it is the 18 to 34 group that has been most careless, has not worn masks, has not social distance. And then he announced that the beaches are going to be closed for the July 4th weekend. Is that, from your point of view, a wise decision? It's a very unfortunate reality that we're facing right now. And so Mayor Jimenez uh, gathered all of us together Friday evening and we discussed what could be done that would get the message across to our population that this is becoming critical. And 
He uh, proposed closing the beaches for July 4th because uh, it's, it's very sad to close the beaches, but obviously people gather. People may gather in very unsafe ways, uh, particularly in a, in a holiday and uh, drinking all kinds of beverages that may change yeah. behavior in such ways. So it seemed that the safest thing with the kind of numbers we're seeing, with the problems we're having with our hospitals, was to go ahead and close the beaches for right now. You had touched on on behavior. There is, Dr. Marty, such a debate right now among a lot of people over masks. There, depending on what zip code you're in at any given moment, <laughs> there might be a mask mandate uh, suggestion. The governor this week w was asked, are you going to make this a statewide mandate? He, he is not for a variety of reasons. And, and the mayor of Miami-Dade has not made it mandatory all the time. Just for people to know, Miami-Dade and Broward, mask inside all the time, public places outside, only when social distancing is not appropriate. And, and that's something you signed off on. Um, so is it time to make masks mandatory? And, and why would we need to do that if the evidence is there and messaging doesn't work? Why would laws work? Well, this it becomes, it's very, very unfortunate that such a reasonable thing to ask of people has become a political issue. It's, it's, it's mind-boggling to me. Um, I, I think we had these kind of issues back when we were asking people to use seatbelts, and eventually people got the message, seatbelts save lives, masks save lives. It's, it's, a, it's such a reasonable thing right now, and it, it boggles my mind that we're not doing it. And when it comes to what we should mandate or not mandate, that is a political decision, of course, and that's not my lane. I, my personal uh, opinions to the mayor were that we should find people who are not wearing masks. You can take a snapshot of who they are, and uh, you can uh, definitely give them a warning the first time, give them a fine the second time, bigger find the third time. See if we, it, 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 you know, and I hate that because the reality is we should want to do this. We should be doing the things that we do because they make sense, because they're logical, because they protect us and they protect others. And that's how we should look at this. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Marty, uh, Mayor Jimenez yesterday and uh, Governor DeSantis on Friday, they both mentioned perhaps the most troubling thing about the uh, trending upward on the numbers of new cases is not just the new cases, but the percentage of people who are testing positive. It had been, I guess, in May down to three, four, five, six percent per 100,000. And now this past week in Miami-Dade, <clears throat> there was one day it was 14 percent and then it went up to 25 percent. What does this tell you? That tells me that there's increased transmission. So it's so in other words, this virus is now spreading almost as as it was before we ever instituted any of the public health measures that we instituted. And that to me is just a crime because we all suffered through this quarantine period in order to get a handle on this and help us get rid of this virus. And if we could have uh, adopted the new normals, practiced the new normals that were put in place, we wouldn't be seeing this level of increased transmission. So that relative positivity is, a, is an indicator of increased transmission of the virus. So let's look, now that we're talking about this transmission, this is a graph. I'm, I'm not sure if, Dr. Marty, you can see this. Uh, I want to take you through it because the writing is kind of small. This was a graph that was presented by Mayor Jimenez in a Zoom press conference last week. 
the top line, all the lines represent age groups. The top line is 18 to 34 age group, but, but they're all sort of the same trajectory for new cases. The little writing at the bottom marks the date 520 is when the cities in South Florida began to open. 518 to 520 were the openings. Uh, you see a little bit of a rise in the week after those openings. The second marked date is the first week of street protesting. Uh, that was the first week of June, and then you see a surge, especially among young people, in the week after the street protesting. Dr. Marty, is this circumstantial or is this a cause of new transmissions? Can we go so far as to pinpoint what happened? Well, you know, you'd have to do a very careful study to be sure. But yes, the, here's what we know. Anytime that there's uh, groups of people get together from different households without protection, shouting, yelling, screaming, um, singing, any kind of activity that can spread virus can lead to increased numbers of cases. There's uh, whether it's at a bar, at a protest, uh, at a party, it really doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's that activity, that closeness that allows the virus to get from one host to another. Therefore, is it reasonable to assume that transmission happened during the protest? Yes, it's very reasonable to assume that transmission happened to, uh, during the protest. Transmission happened when people uh, didn't follow the new normal guidelines when we opened up, and these things are cumulative. So that said, is there something we should be doing? You, you talked about behavior, so we're leaving it to individual behavior. That aside, is there something our elected officials from locally to the governor should be doing that they're not right now? Well, right now, they need to consider making the masks mandatory throughout the state. That would be important. They should lead by example, and, I, and I'm seeing them do that now. Um, you're seeing more and more of the, um, of the elected officials being more conscientious about how and when they use masks and the distance that they keep from other people. These are, you know, you really do have to lead by example. In terms of uh, starting to close anything down uh, other, than, other than these massive events and making sure that we're not having mass gatherings right now for whatever reason, um, that's the only thing I would do right now. But if this doesn't start to really curb down within the next few days and it's not likely to, then they may have to consider more serious yeah. options. Yeah. Dr. Marty, very briefly, and forgive me, I've asked you this question before. You answered it well, but I'm going to ask you again. There is such a thing as the social contract. Rousseau talked about it, you know, in the late 1700s. It's part of American philosophy. We all work towards the common good, the common wheel. A lot of people who are not wearing masks are simply saying, hey, I'm an American. You can't tell me what I have to do. I'm not going to wear a mask. I'm not going to say six feet apart. What is your answer? What is your, as a infectious disease specialist, what do you say to that person? They are certainly not following the social contract. They're not recognizing that uh, many things that we do in life, we do to protect both ourselves and others. And in this circumstance, this is a key tool that we have to protect ourselves and others. And not doing it is a breach of the social contract. Boy, Dr. is Martin. it ever. 
<laughs> Thank you so much. Always gracious to share your time with us. We are forever grateful for that. And uh, we will be talking to you absolutely this coming week to see what happens. Thanks again. Thanks. Election season is about to hit home as mail-in ballots start to go out in the midst of a pandemic. And questions have been raised, especially by the president, about the integrity of voting by mail. We're going to talk about that next with the Broward and Miami-Dade election supervisors. Welcome back. Voting in the time of pandemic already poses unprecedented challenges in securing healthy and fair elections. Add to that the president now telegraphing fear that mail-in ballots aren't safe. You certainly want your vote to be secure and account. So let's talk about how that happens here with the two people in charge of voting in South Florida from Miami-Dade Election Supervisor Christina White and from Broward Election Supervisor Pete Antonacci. Christina, Pete, uh, good morning. Good Great morning. to have you with us. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Pleasure to be with you both. Great. Uh, let me start with you, Christina, if I can. The confidence, I think, uh, in mail-in voting has been shaken by the president's comments over the last couple of weeks. I don't want to make this partisan because both of you are in nonpartisan positions, but uh, I want both of you to comment. Christina, how safe is it to vote by mail? I certainly can't speculate as to why those comments are being made, but I can assure you that voting by mail is a very safe and secure voting method. The beauty of election law in the state of Florida is that voters have options, right? They can vote in the method that they feel confident in and secure in and prefer. So whether it's vote by mail, going during early voting or on election day, voters have that choice. But I can tell you that the voting by mail method is certainly a method that's been trending upward over the last election cycles. It's continuing to do so in the face of this pandemic. Hundreds of thousands of voters already vote by mail because they choose to. And so I want our voters to feel very confident um, in the safeguards that we have in place um, from being able to track the ballot being mailed to you, uh, the fact that we've received it, that it's been tabulated, um, and you know other procedures that we have to make sure that it is in fact you that's voting. So if that is what makes you feel safe in this cycle, I recommend that you do it. And if we can, Pete Antonacci, respond to that same thing. Tell the voters, uh, what, 1.2 million voters in Broward County, uh, assure them that voting by mail is safe. Well, from the point of view of, of the supervisor's office, it works very well. The systems set up track uh, who asked for them. Uh, and then when the ballots are returned, check signatures. Uh, and uh, make sure that it, it, it hooks up with the person that actually has requested a ballot. Uh, the rest is up to the voters, because let's be practical. As soon as a ballot hits the U.S. mail, a certain amount of privacy uh, begins to be shed from the ballot. And from that point on, the voter has to take control of the situation. The voter has to treat that ballot uh, just like that voter would treat a ballot during in-person voting. It would guard the confidentiality of that ballot um, really aggressively, uh, would not let anyone else influence uh, the vote uh, during in-person voting, and would not turn over that ballot to third parties that try to collect them. 
So that's um, it. Can, can I just um, jump in here? And I'd like to make that it's such a pleasure to have both of you with us. And, and I know it's tough to have a conversation when we're doing it via Skype and no one can really see each other. But I wonder if you both could weigh in on exactly that because, Christina, you know, there is no doubt that Miami-Dade County in the past has had allegations of fraud, especially uh, absentee ballots in elderly housing. Mm -hmm. And there has been those instances that people can hearken back to. But since then, there have been so many changes in procedures and law. And I wonder if you both can sort of have this conversation about what has changed so that people can really feel confident in that mail-in ballot. Sure. And, and listen, I'm 14 years in election administration, and certainly there have been um, cases, right? But I can count them on one hand. And my, my advice to the voter is, similar to what Pete just said, keep voting between you and the elections department, just like you would do anything else, right? Your bank statements and banking online and all of that stuff. You don't have a third party in the middle of it. So put your request in, track your ballot that you, which you can do online make sure you sign your ballot because that's what's important right when you go to vote in person you have your florida id with you so we're able to confirm that in fact it is you that is there to vote how we do that with a vote by mail ballot is comparing the signature on the ballot so you've got to make sure you sign it with the signature that we have on record if that signature doesn't match that ballot will not get accepted by the canvassing board and it will not ultimately get accepted. And so that is your safeguard as a voter to know that if somebody, you know, took your ballot, um, it's not going to likely get counted. Now, the other side of that is, okay, well, what if my signature has changed? Maybe I should be fearful of voting by mail because if there's not an exact match, then it won't get accepted. Well, that's also not true either. We are in the business of accepting ballots. We don't want to throw something out for signature discrepancy. We're looking for similarities in signature. It doesn't have to be exactly the same. So, you know, we understand that, you know, with age and signatures change over time, we're looking for similarities. Pete, right? you had, um, um, and, and that I think is a similar situation. Pete, you had a mailer go out explaining this this week to Broward voters, did you not? Uh, not this week, but uh, in the recent past, within the past few weeks, a, a mailer has gone out. Uh, that's advised the voters to do all that. Christina speaks the truth. Uh, on the technical side, uh, I think our system works very well. But keep in mind, we're talking about political power and the allocation of political power um, by the electorate uh, at the voting booth. Um, the twist this time is a lot of that is going to go on at the kitchen table. Uh, and at the kitchen table, uh, repeating myself some, voters should zealously guard uh, the confidentiality of their decisions. The system doesn't work very well when uh, the decision-making of voters is being overborne by third parties. Uh, so if, if uh, people stiffen their necks and say, this is between uh, myself and only myself, this ballot, uh, things will be fine. Uh, if things, if people give in uh, to the uh, importunings of third parties uh, to collect ballots and to influence decisions, uh, things will not go as well as we would like. Yeah. Well, I, I do recall, and I think Lena does as well. I know Christina does because she was a young employee, I believe, at the elections department in Miami-Dade. But many years ago, there was a famous man named Mr. Yip in <laughs> Miami who was dead. And uh, he cast a vote. 
in a Miami mayoral election. The vote was delivered by a Balotera, a woman who collected absentee votes and collected a dead man's vote. But, uh, Christina, the law has changed. And now, what does the law say? That a, a absentee, a mail-in vote can be delivered, but only by a close relative. Is that right? Family right. member? So, so first of all, I want to say that in Miami-Dade, we pay the postage on vote-by-mail ballots. So there is absolutely no reason for a voter to give their ballot to anybody. Because in the past, one of the strategies was, oh, don't worry, just give me your ballot. I'll drop it in the mail for you. I'll put a stamp on it, and I'll drop it in the mailbox for you. That doesn't need to happen anymore. We've actually put a stamp on it. Um, and uh, by the way, you can drop it off at any one of our early voting locations now. So if you don't want to put it in the mail stream, you have 14 days to drop it in one of our mailboxes that we are now going to have at each of our early voting sites. Um, but in regards to deceased, the law has changed quite a bit. Um, everything is statutorily tied to deadlines. And as supervisors, we have seven days to remove a voter that has been indicated as deceased from the voter rolls, right? So it's information that goes from the Department of Vital Statistics to the Division of Elections. They send it down to the requisite county, and we have seven days to remove that voter. And so the voter rolls are certainly much more clean in recent years than in the past. I have a question, um, I, since this is live TV and, and viewers weigh in, I have a question, Pete, maybe you can answer this, from someone who said, you're talking about third-party voter, uh, third-party entities. Uh, apparently, one of our viewers received an absentee ballot application from an organization. Speak, if you will, is that legitimate? Is it safe? Should, should people take these third party offers to register someone to vote who perhaps is not yet? In short, no. Uh, we have a mischievous uh, group out of Philadelphia that's very well funded uh, that um, disrupts uh, our process down here in Florida, creates a lot of additional work. Uh, about half uh, of the vote by mail requests that we've received uh, on this third party form are duplicates. Uh, and our phones light up and people complain about it and they wonder if they've done something uh, wrong or they've missed the deadline. Uh, and all because of the interference by these people in our, in our electoral process. They are not well motivated as far as I'm concerned. I believe every supervisor in the state has complained about them, uh, including directly. Uh, we've complained to our attorney general. We've complained to our secretary of state that something should be done uh, to force more disclosure on these people who have Tallahassee return addresses on all their envelopes, which leads people to believe that they are part of the official uh, organs of government. Yeah. yeah, I received one of those. In fact, I think it's called the Center for Voter Information or something, but and it had a Tallahassee return address. But uh, uh, I'm sure that both of you would say if you as a voter have questions about your registration, about anything, go to go online to your website and inquire that way. Well, I'll give you a chance to re uh, respond in just a minute. We're gonna take a brief break. Back with the election supervisors, just a minute. Welcome back on This Week in South Florida, something that we have never seen and we're delighted we are. We have Pete Antonacci, the election supervisor in Broward County and Christina White, the election supervisor in Miami-Dade. Uh, Pete, let me begin with you. So if somebody, for example, I have really all my life 
voted either early or on election day. Uh, for someone who wants a mail-in ballot uh, in Broward, what do they do? They can either uh, uh, respond to the postcard uh, that was sent out to about a million voters uh, over the last three weeks in Broward or go on uh, our website and order it uh, on website. It's very easy. Uh, or uh, by telephoning us uh, and giving us the requisite information and uh, we'll we'll get you a vote by mail ballot in August and November if you'd like. Yeah, and Christina, I know uh, sort of the answer we're gonna put up on the screen. You may not be able to see it, but here is the, well, that is the Broward uh, website and we also have one from Miami-Dade showing how to get a, uh, a mail-in ballot. Uh, Christina, that is right. It is vote by mail at MiamiDade.gov. Yes, well, that's the email address that you can send your request in through. Um, we, too, in Miami-Dade have sent mailers out to the households of voters who don't currently have a request on file. Our last batch actually will be sent out tomorrow if you haven't received it yet. Um, same thing, there was a form included, <clears throat> excuse me. So you can either respond to that or, or go to our website, uh, which would be easier probably than using that email, um, which is IamElectionReady.org. We'll have all that on our website as well, so it'll be easy to find. We've talked so much about these mail-in ballots, but there are going to be people who are thinking about, maybe want to participate in that process uh, during a pandemic, actually going to the polls. I can't even imagine what monumental logistics you yeah. two are taking to make that a safe process. Pete, why don't you start and, and talk about what is that polling effort going to look like to really make people confident if they want to actually go cast a ballot at a polling let's place? Start, okay, let's start with the good news. And that is, is that uh, we had uh, uh, only two incidents uh, of uh, positive testing after the March primary. Uh, presidential primary. Uh, and that's great news. Um, and happy to report that both of those uh, poll workers uh, from Broward County have recovered uh, and are prepared to work again. Um, for our part, uh, we're doing everything that the CDC has uh, recommended, um, practical things, spacing, hand, hand cleansing, um, we're even, uh, we've even purchased uh, at a considerable price um, uh, hundreds of thousands of uh, pens that come in plastic sleeves uh, that will be used by voters to execute ballot requests and to fill out their ballot. And then they take that pen with them, much like an I voted sticker, uh, because people are concerned uh, about using things uh, over and over again. We'll be cleaning the uh, common areas uh, as uh, persistently as we can, uh, depending on the uh, number of voters that appear on a, uh, either early voting or election day. Yeah. Uh, Christina, I'm sure you're also taking similar kinds of precautions for people who are going to vote in person. But what about election workers in the precincts? Are you having trouble recruiting people to work? It is a concern, of course. Um, you know, the majority of our, our poll workers are um, people who are retired, right? About 35% actually um, of our poll workers are over the age of 65. Um, so it is a bit of a concern because they're in that high risk group. Um, but, you know, I am lucky because I also have the support of Miami-Dade County government. So I have county employees who do come in and fill in those gaps when I have them, fortunately. Um, and also because we are anticipating so many people voting by mail. I think that um, the, you know a couple fewer poll workers in the polls 
is going to be offset by the lower turnout. So yeah. um, what, I do what? find that we're going to be properly staffed. So we too will be following all of the Florida Department of Health and CDC right. guidelines. All and the Christina, let me, before we run out of time, excuse me, what percentage yeah. of voters do you expect are going to vote on August 18th or in the November general election? How many, what percentage are going to vote by mail this year? What percentage of overall voters? Oh, I would say at least 60% of our voters are going to vote by mail. Wow. And Pete, what about you? I budgeted for 60%. We'll see how it turns out. I think a lot depends on our state of mind come August and come November. It is so great to have you both together with us. Such great information. Broke a, lot, a little bit of news today, and, and I hope <laughs> that we can be part of the effort in making people really confident to get out and vote in these very consequential elections. Thank you. Thank so you. Much. Come on down. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Coming up uh, among the elections, coming up are for an open Miami-Dade commission seat. And one of those open seats is in District 1, that is Northwest Miami-Dade. And a big-name candidate for that job is going to join us next. Because of term limits, they are going to be going to be several new faces on the Miami-Dade County Commission this fall. One of those new commissioners will represent District Number One, and that encompasses much of Northwest Miami-Dade, including the city of Miami Gardens and Opalaka. That's been represented for the last 16 years by Commissioner Barbara Jordan. And one of the leading candidates for that District One seat is Oliver Gilbert, the outgoing mayor of Miami Gardens. You see him there joining us now by Skype. Uh, mayor Gilbert, good morning. Good to speak with you. Good afternoon, Michael. Good to speak with you and Glenn also. All right. And before we begin, we want to say on the record that we had invited uh, your opponent, one of your main opponents, Sabrina Fulton, to join the conversation. And she said that she wanted to uh, not take part today, that she's taking her campaign in another direction. But we're very glad that you're with us. So, uh, Mr. Mayor, tell us, what is the overriding, overarching theme of your campaign? Why should you be elected? Because we need to really pay attention to ideas and policies that actually make us not just a good place to visit, but a good place to live here in Miami-Dade County. You know, we, we have a lot, of, a lot of issues confronting us. From, from mass transit to the affordability of housing to economic development to now how we recover from the COVID-19 crisis to social justice. So, look, and, and we, we're fond of actually having these conversations like they're different conversations, but in real life, they're actually the same conversation. Economic development and job creation and transportation and the affordability of housing and affordable housing and, and, and climate change, sea level rise, all of these things are one conversation that speak to whether Miami-Dade County is going to truly evolve into a world-class community. We say we are, but the truth is that we're a young community, Michael, and we're just becoming what we can be. We need to find ways to actually empower people, to actually grow our economy that, that, that isn't just centered on tourism. You know, because Mayor, Mayor I, don't, I don't mean to interrupt you. We're going to delve into all of those issues. And those are those are issues not only District 1, but all of Miami-Dade and Broward and South Florida are dealing with as well. And you talked about what your issues are for your campaign. In preparation for this interview, I talked to a couple of your residents and the people who live and work in District 1. And we keep hearing the same theme. Their issues are generally all in the basket of quality of life. So when you talk about economic development, sometimes economic development and quality of life 
aren't such cozy neighbors. Speak, if you will, how you balance those two things. Well, I, I think you, you, you balance it by having a, a comprehensive conversation. And, and all the things I was just mentioning, you actually speak to quality of life, Glenna. You, you know, it's in, in Miami Gardens, for instance, um, you, you don't think about this as an, an added price to actually live in a city, but when you don't have places that you can actually shop at in your city, and you have to drive to places like Aventura, Pembroke Pines, to actually to go to a nice store, or eat at a nice restaurant, you, that, that's your time and that's your gas money, that you have to actually go to those places. Quality of life isn't just one thing. Quality of life is all of those things. And so what we try to do in Miami Gardens is develop a city that not just had didn't just have residential houses because when I inherited the city it was basically single family homes you can't operate a city this size just on single family homes you need industrial space you need businesses because those businesses create jobs and they create a healthy tax base which has allowed us to ultimately fund a lot of the programming that we've done on our parks for our kids and for our seniors so I, I love the conversation that, that revolves around quality of life because we act like it's just one thing. When in truth, it's all of those things coming together, whether you sit in your car for an hour and a half because all of our employment hubs are you know, downtown or on the beach, and, and that's where we have to go to work. Whether you actually have meaningful programming for your kids on on parks, so you don't have to take them to to Weston and Broward or or down to Coral Gables, or these are real conversations yeah. that people have that we don't actually talk about it in terms of of how we actually build the Miami Dade County that works for everyone and everyone can have a good quality yeah. of life. Mr. Mayor, let me sort of drill down into one aspect, one particular issue. You mentioned transportation for at least 20 years. There has been a promise to the people of North Dade County that a metro rail line, a dedicated rail line was going to join uh, the system and run up 27th Avenue to Hard Rock Stadium. And as we all know, that's never been built. Now, uh, let me get your stand on this. Would you, do you believe there should be a rail line or would a dedicated uh, bus lane with modern buses be adequate? Where do you stand on that? We need elevated rail and we, we need elevated rail and we don't need it to just go to the stadium. We need it to go all the way to county line, but not just the county line, but all the way up into Broward County. And those are the conversations that we're starting to have. And, and, and Michael, thank you for the question because ultimately, We've been talking about this for a long time. How can we move the ball down the field? We can move the ball down the field by having those conversations with Broward County and hopefully becoming a SIS facility, a, a strategic intermodal system facility, so that we can then tap into more state dollars. If the if the rail line is just captured in Miami-Dade County, we're not eligible for like 70% of the funds that the state has. So what we, do you... Look at this from a regional perspective and not just not just a county perspective. If we're going to advance towards our ultimate goal of building mass transit that covers the breadth and the, and the width of this county. So when you when you talk about that on a commission level, District 1 is one of 13 in Miami-Dade, and, and they're all, as you might be if you win this election, representing people in a district who are looking for their own interests. And sometimes large regional questions get divvied up into smaller pots. So when you sit on a commission with 12 other commissioners looking for that same thing, because the people in the South End, I have heard say exactly that. What is your vision in being able to move the needle where you don't see it being moved right now? Well, well a couple of things. 
Glenna. First, I, I'm the chair of the TPO now. I'm the first non-county commissioner to sit as chair of the TPO. T to do that, I had to actually be able to work and get the support of the county commissioners to, to allow that to happen. Look, I, I know that we typically have these conversations in Miami-Dade County with regard to 13 different districts, but that's the wrong way to do it. I, I'm going to be elected from District 1, but I'm elected to, to govern and give policy, to make policy decisions over the entire breadth of this county. So, so when we make when we sit there and we make decisions, we're making decisions that's the right policy decision for everyone at, at, at all times. And so I, I reject the idea that that we we we're gonna have these kingdoms and queendoms where we're just gonna look out for ourselves because ultimately the residents of District One in Miami Gardens, they're they're gonna be able to get on trains and they're they're gonna be going to work in other parts of the county. Yeah, absolutely. So all right. We're connecting uh, ways that don't allow us to be social will be be selfish that way. Yeah. Mayor Gilbert, uh, stay right there. We have more questions for Mayor Oliver Gilbert, candidate for District 1, Miami-Dade Commission. We'll be back with him in just a minute. Welcome back. We are speaking with Miami Gardens Mayor Oliver Gilbert. Uh, Mayor Gilbert, every candidate for office runs on his or her record. So you have been the mayor of Miami Gardens for, what, the last eight years. Uh, one of the stories that has been in the news in the last couple of weeks has been problems with your police force. Just the this past week, a one officer was uh, charged by the state attorney with brutalizing a woman uh, during an arrest. And then the previous week, Local 10 News did an investigation, showed two of your officers, including the one who was just uh, charged, uh, beating up a guy at a gas station in your city. So I guess you know, the buck stops with the mayor. Uh, do you have a problem with personnel training uh, your police force? No, we don't have a problem with training. What, what we do, what, what we do have, and I'm sorry, this horrible echo that developed. Um, Welcome to live TV, Mr. Yeah, we're, mayor. We're, we will figure that out. <laughs> we'll ask our engineers to try and fix it. And I can hear it over and over on my end. So I'm just going to go ahead and talk, and hopefully it's coming through well. Good, yes. Um, what we've done in the city of Miami Gardens is we've we've actually gone and we've given all our officers implicit bias training. We've given all of our officers community policing training, and and we've given them all the tools they need to be successful. And what we've said is is that you're going to leave uh, live up to these standards, or we're going to actually separate from you. And, and so what's important about uh, the officer that that was just charged by the, the the state attorney, and what's important about the other officers that they're actually former officers of Miami Gardens. Because what's going to be clear is is that you're not going to violate the trust that we have in you with regard to community policing and fairness on the streets of Miami Gardens, and continue to work for Miami Gardens. Look, we we have a, we have a department of over 200, uh, I think, 70 sworn officers, and, and we we built that department under my leadership from kids from around this, this community, we started sending them to the police academy so they could be police officers in their hometown. That, that, that's how we did that. And we have a wonderful chief, uh, Delma Noel Pratt. She works hard and she's been very good. And so is the city manager at if officers violating standards, getting them out of there. Just while I've been mayor, we've actually separated from a number of officers. If you violate the standards in Miami Gardens, we separate from you. We so, fire you. So, Mayor, uh, you are the mayor of a city. You are a candidate for a county seat. So, on the police reform and the calls for police reform, I'm sure you're watching what's going on at the county level. So, weigh in if, if you would. Uh, handicap what the county is doing right and wrong and whether you would change anything. 
Well, I, I think that the county needs to do some of the things that we've done with regard to diversity. Um, I, I'll just tell you, 13% of law enforcement officers around the country are black. In Miami Gardens, that number is over 50%, and that's because we've been recruiting from our neighborhoods to go to the police academy. And I think that when you really want to have meaningful community police officers, maybe you should start by having officers that are actually from the community. I think that helps with relationships, and helping with relationships like that can only add to, to a sense of public safety. Um, I, I think also every 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 officer, with regard without regard to whether they're actually in a policing a community policing unit, every officer should be a community police officer. Every officer should be should be trained in implicit bias. I, I believe that civilian oversight is important in this respect because you know we we need people to actually trust the system. And, and that's one of the things that I would point out with regard to Miami Gardens. Whatever problems we had, what you do know about the city of Miami Gardens is that if you mess up, we'll fire you. We, we will. The law is going to apply to everybody here. Yeah, um, Mayor so, Gilbert, I, let me let me jump in the in, in the and remaining time. Oliver, if I if I may jump in here, um, there is an effort that is underway, just begun in the Miami Dade County Commission, to uh, put together a civilian investigative panel. Uh, who would look into allegations of police misconduct, including subpoena power, uh, as a commissioner, would you support that? I would, I would support it, Michael, but I want to say this, because I, I would support it, but I want us to be very mindful and very careful, because a lot of people are saying, yes, they'll support it. We need to, we need to understand how this is going to actually impact and how it's going to work with the current system. I don't want to just support something that, that looks good to get past this moment in time and there's no actual substantive change. If we're going to do something, let's make sure we do it right so that there's real oversight, so, so that people know if they misbehave, there's going to be a real consequence. Th those are the type of things that we need to do. And for instance, you know, the Florida legislature mandated that every police department wear body cameras. Before they mandated that, I put cameras on my officers because I actually want to actually see. I want us to be able to see what's going on because I think it makes everyone more accountable. Mayor Gilbert, great to have you on. Uh, we regret again that your opponent, Sabrina Fulton, couldn't be with us today uh, to have a, an interactive debate, but so goes, <laughs> so goes television. Great to have you on, and we thank you for your time. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you all. And we'll be right back. We want to thank you so much for spending this part of your Sunday with us. Reminder, we are online all the time, 24-7 at Local10.com. We will get through this together, and Local10 is there for you all the way. Remember, as always, stay informed, get involved, and have a great Sunday. Sunday.